Christ Church, New Malden, 29th of March, 2020. Stephen Kurt speaking on When Everything Seems to Have Changed. Well, it continues to be a very odd and unsettling time, doesn't it? With so much of life around us changing and at a truly bewildering speed. A few weeks ago, everything about our lives appeared quite normal. But now, because of the spread of coronavirus, schools are shut. Pubs are shut, gyms and shops are shut, church buildings are shut. We're now in isolation, at least in a physical sense, from one another, and overall we're living within a world that in an incredibly short space of time has been turned completely upside down. Things are never going to be the same again. I've heard that phrase from more than one person recently, and when I've asked whether they're speaking about positive or negative changes, They've usually replied both. Within the negative category belong most obviously loss of human life, but also economic, social and educational disruption. But even as people worry about these things, they're often able to point as well to positive changes occurring as a result of this crisis. Changes which they hope will turn out to be permanent. An increased concern for those who are more vulnerable amongst us a greater awareness of the importance of family and friends, and perhaps a greater chance for our planet to rest from the pollution and exploitation which is a byproduct of that life that we used to think was normal. Dramatic change is occurring as one way of life gives way to another, with none of us quite knowing what the future will bring. And as I've thought about this situation, it's caused me more than once to reflect on that famous novel by Margaret Mitchell, called Gone with the Wind. If you haven't read the book, you've probably seen the film, which is all about a young woman in the deep south of 1860s America called Scarlett O'Hara, whose entire way of life is suddenly swept away as a result of the American Civil War. And the reason why Gone with the Wind created so much resonance when it first appeared is because at that point, the whole world was again being turned upside down through the coming of the Second World War. And that's got similarities to how many of us feel again now, as the way of life that we got used to and felt comfortable with and assumed would continue has suddenly and violently been swept away. And if there's one book of the Bible that very directly addresses this kind of situation, it's the Old Testament book of Lamentations. Lamentations comes from the 6th century BC and responds to the destruction of the city of Jerusalem by the Babylonians. Jerusalem was God's holy city, the place where he'd promised to dwell amongst his people forever, and for most Israelites that made it totally unthinkable that it could ever be destroyed. But in 586 BC the unthinkable occurred, as Jerusalem and its temple were destroyed and many of its people taken off into slavery and exile. And the book of Lamentations is eloquent testimony to the shattering blow that this represented for the Jewish people, as everything that they counted on to continue suddenly went up in smoke. And as those words from the first chapter of Lamentations were read to us a few moments ago, I wonder how many of you felt echoes of our present situation. How deserted lies the city once so full of people? How like a widow is she, who was once great among the nations? She who was queen amongst the provinces, has now become a slave. 
It's not a perfect parallel, of course, because we haven't been literally invaded by an alien force. But in another sense, of course, we have, haven't we? And when we read the book of Lamentations, there's a great deal that will resonate at this time with people's feelings of shock and their sense of loss. And that's because the Bible never attempts to sugarcoat things that are bad. Lamentations, and the same goes for a number of the Psalms, gives full voice to those deepest feelings of desolation, fear, confusion, and indeed abandonment by God that many people feel when everything that they were used to and counted upon is suddenly dashed away. And having such material in the Bible is valuable, because we need to express these feelings rather than bottling them up. It's healthy to express how we feel, and particularly to express our anxieties, our fears and our pain. And Lamentations, together with the Psalms, gives us the words to do this. They show us how lament and grief take their place alongside prayer as a vital part of the journey of faith of God's people in a broken world. Very much included within this is repentance for our role in this broken world. Most of us will recognise that we really shouldn't be the same after this crisis. That as a people we need to become less selfish, less materialistic, less comfortable when people in other parts of the world face dangers similar to coronavirus all the time. Jerusalem has sinned greatly and so has become unclean. It says in Lamentations 1 verse 8. And this can give voice to our repentance and all the ways in which a crisis like this prompts us to tell God that we're sorry for what we've been part of doing to his world and its people. But however much this part of the Bible concentrates on giving voice to these feelings of grief and repentance, that's never God's only word. Despite the horror of events like the fall of Jerusalem and coronavirus, the writer of these poems never gives in to the idea that life is random, but sees a God of justice behind everything happening in the world. And whilst at one level that might be disturbing to us, it's precisely this which leads us to the hope that the book contains within it. So in chapter 3, verses 19 to 24, its writer says, I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them, and my soul is downcast within me. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we're not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. When everything else is collapsing, it's declaring, the compassionate and ever-loving God remains the same. His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Compassion literally means suffering alongside someone as the means of helping them. And used of God, it points to him constantly finding new ways of revealing his love afresh to us through the disasters of life. And that's why, however bad disasters like the fall of Jerusalem, the Second World War and coronavirus may seem at the time, they're things that we're promised will not consume us, because none of them will have the final word. The final word instead will always belong to the God whose compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. 
And he is a God whom, as we await his rescue, calls us to the difficult task of that repentance, an ongoing faithfulness towards him. Let us examine our ways, it says in Lamentation 3 verse 40, and test them, and let us return to the Lord. Let us lift up our hearts and our hands to God in heaven. And of course the way we express our repentance and our turning back to God is when we are resolved to live differently. When we are resolved to respond to the hardships, such as those around us at the moment, not by turning in on ourselves and looking simply to our own needs, but by looking outwards to the needs of others. If you've seen the film of Gone with the Wind, you'll probably remember its most iconic scene. Scarlett O'Hara returns to her home to find it pillaged and in ruins, to find her beloved mother dead of typhoid fever, hardly any food to eat, and everything seeming to depend on her. And her response is that famous line where she raises her fist and declares, I'll never be hungry again. No, nor any of my folks. If I have to lie, steal, cheat or kill, as God is my witness, I'll never be hungry again. Now they are iconic words, but they are also terrible ones. As Scarlet does indeed go on to do all of those things that she lists. Lie, steal, cheat and kill. And she does survive, but at a terrible cost to others and ultimately to herself. But there's another key character in Gone with the Wind called Melanie Wilkes, who chooses a very different path through the chaos of change, the path of sacrificial love. And that's the very approach that God summons us to at times like this. And it's the one summed up in that reading from Mark chapter 8, where Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, he or she must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me and the gospel will save it. Jesus' answer to how we make our way through life, particularly when everything appears to be crashing down around us, is paradoxically by refusing to turn in on ourselves and looking outwards instead to the needs of others. Turning away from making our rescue and that of our nearest and dearest the be-all and end-all, and living lives that become the good news of Jesus Christ to those around us through giving our lives away in acts of sacrificial love. And that's part of the positive change that we're seeing occur all around us at the moment, aren't we? As one way of life gives way to another. Neighbours who up to this point have hardly known one another, putting notes through each other's doors to ask if they need anything done or bought for them, Streets setting up WhatsApp groups for people to do the same. Retired doctors and nurses going back to work in the NHS at a time of desperate need. And people realising that obeying the rules, restricting our freedom of movement and staying at home is a way of directly saving other people's lives. The greatest way that God revealed his never-failing compassion and his eternal faithfulness was when he sent his son Jesus Christ to die for us on the cross. It was that act of grace which dealt with our sin and won our forgiveness. But we never demonstrate more fully that we live within that grace than when we follow, however imperfectly, that model of being prepared to give our lives away for others.
Doing those unselfish, we could say unscarlet-like acts that our very best impulses are prompting within us. Those acts of love and care for people that we hardly know and perhaps will never know. And it's then that the God of never-ending compassion and faithfulness will be working most fully through us. When everything that we've known appears to be collapsing, when it appears gone with the wind, we really can depend upon, trust and be obedient to the God whose compassions never fail, because they are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness.